Thanks for joining us on the Father's House podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Want to learn more about us? Check us out online at thefathershouse.com. We'd love to stay connected. Now, let's go to this week's message. Well, good morning again. Good morning. Love you, Eddie. Got your swag on. That's awesome. (laughs) My name is Pastor Andrea, for those of you that don't know me, and I am honored and privileged to be standing on this stage today, again, in a different capacity. Most of you see me leading worship, um, but today I'm going to actually get the chance to teach today with a friend, uh, Pastor Miguel, so that's going to be awesome. But before we get into all of that, you got your Bible? Did you bring your Bible today? I hope you did. If not, uh, we can say like what Pastor Jerry says, that you could get your iPhone, your iPad, or I love when he says your eyeballs, and you can lift them up. Up, and we can all say this confession together. This is my Bible. It is the Word of God. It is life to me. Today, I receive the Word. I confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I am obedient. I will never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as Eddie said that we're in this series called The League of the Least Likely. Um, This is week four. And uh, the last three weeks, I just kind of want to review in case you weren't here or you hadn't gotten a chance to go back online and to listen to all of the teachings, which by the way, you can do that. If you've missed any, you can go to the Father's house and that you can look back in the archives and you can get caught up on this series. Uh, You won't be um, disappointed that you did because this has been a really, 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 really good series. Of course, I'm kind of biased. I think they all are here because God has blessed us with such an amazing teaching pastor and all of the pastors here at the Father's house. But uh, week one, remember, pastor talked to us on Easter about Jesus being the least likely rabbi from Nazareth. Then we Week two, he talked to us about David, the skinny-armed sheep herder. And then last week, he talked about Shamgar, or who a couple of my friends referred to him as ShamWow, if you remember that commercial. ShamWow. Shamgar, the unconventional deliverer. Remember, he was in the league of least likely because he, all he had was a stick. And he did what God um, had him do and, and, uh, for the glory of God's name and was recorded in this book. Today, Pastor Miguel and I are going to talk about two different people who are in the league of the least likely. And um, I, I tell you what, if you'll really pay attention, um, especially to today, um, because uh, we'll be you know, teaching back to back about two different people, but if you'll begin to think about and go back over your notes, you're really gonna see throughout this series that every single person we talk about, that there is a common thread and theme of characteristics of who God uses um, in everyday, ordinary uh, lives. So without further ado, let's welcome Pastor Miguel up to the stage for our first League of the Least Likely. Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of God this morning. God is so good. I'm very thankful for being here before you guys in this day. So before I begin, let us pray. Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love for us. Lord, I know that many of us here today came with a need to hear your word. I pray, my God, that you may touch everyone's heart in this day, their minds, and that we may all be open to receive what you have in store for us. Use Pastor Andrea and myself in a way to just touch the hearts in such a way that they may forever be changed in this day, not because of us, but because of who you are. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. A few years ago, when I started my prayer movement, I wanted to put a billboard that promotes 
this movement. And when I was contemplating on that, the Lord spoke to me and told me, never put your face on a billboard. And the reason why he told me that is because only he knows my heart. You understand? There are times that you could put your face there, whatever. It doesn't mean that it's going to have the same consequences because everybody's different. But to me, he was telling me not to do it. And it is because it's not about me. It is about him. It's not about us. It is about him. And when we understand that, it's going to make a lasting effect in our lives as believers. As believers, we all want to be used by God. We all want to see his glory. We want him to shine through us. We want him to do his thing through our lives. But the reality is, if you get it wrong, it's easy to just make it all about yourself. It's not a bad thing to desire that. I think, I believe in my heart that God wants us to have that desire. However, we don't, when we don't see him respond the way we wish he responded, when we don't see the promises he made us uh, right away or manifest himself the way we wished it did, guess what happens? We want to help God. We want to get, and we, basically we say, well, you know, Lord, if you didn't do it this way, maybe I can do it this way. And we try to help God, and when we do that, we tend to mess things up. And we were honest with ourselves. We will say, you know, maybe this was not the best thing to do. Praise God. In fact, we can very well undo some of the things God has set in place for the coming promises he has made us. It is hard to wait on the Lord. And if you stop and think, when you don't wait on the Lord, it shows the lack of trust we have in him. We need to learn how to wait on the Lord. It's a very important step in our Christian faith. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1 through 14, it says, not, it doesn't say, sorry, I'm just going to recap. King, Sam, <laughs> king Saul got rejected as king for not waiting on the Lord when he was supposed to wait for the prophet to come, perform the sacrifice in the way God established. Instead, Saul did it himself. Therefore, undoing everything God had in motion for him to be a successful king, bringing to an end on that very day his kingdom. Even though he was still king, in the eyes of people, in the eyes of God, he was, it was done. He was done. God already made a decision. He already selected who he wanted as king. All because Saul didn't want to wait. When we don't wait on the Lord, it gives birth to disobedience. But how beautiful it is when we can learn to wait on the Lord. When we wait on him, he can perfectly position us for his use and not for ours. In this day, I, I want to introduce to you a man that the word of God says very little of. But that made an impact so great until this day we can see the results of his faithfulness. Before I say his name, let me read you one of his quotes. Who knows if perhaps you will make queen for such a time as this. This man's name is Mordecai, the cousin of Queen Esther. Mordecai was from the tribe of Benjamin. His father's name was Jar. Mordecai's ancestors were taken into exile from Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Mordecai was born in a very difficult time. He was a least likely because he was a foreigner. We can imagine that throughout his life, Mordecai faced many different challenges just by being a refugee. But what I want you to focus on today about Mordecai is what he did when challenges came his way. Mordecai made the most of every difficult situation. For example, in Esther chapter 2 verse 7 reads, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadasha, 
whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman was also known as Esther. She had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. Mordecai saw a need and he met it. He was not concerned that he was going to be raising an orphan girl. He knew the God that he served. He knew that this God that he served was faithful and was going to help him through every step of the way. Mordecai was instrumental in helping Esther become the next queen. A while after Esther became queen, Mordecai overhears a plan that the king was going to get killed. Esther, in Esther 2, 21 through 23 says, During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, two of the king's officials who guarded the doorway became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on a pole. All this was recorded in the book of Annals in the presence of the king. Once Mordecai heard the plot, he took action. He went and did whatever he needed to do to get the king safe from this plot that was taking place. And it was recorded in the book of remembrance. Mordecai knew who God was. He trusted the Lord. He loved the Lord with all his heart. But Mordecai was a behind-the-scene guy. He was not searching to be recognized or rewarded. Mordecai always wanted to do the right thing, even when people were not looking. He was obedient. He was faithful. And this also got him in trouble. It's funny because when we are serving the Lord, a lot of times we think everything is going to fall in its proper place that everything we do is just going to flourish, that everything is just going to f- just land nice and soft for us. But if you've been serving the Lord long enough, you'll realize that's not true. You'll realize that there is, this path that we're in is sometimes a difficult path because sometimes we got to do things against our own will. We got to do things that God tells us to do, and sometimes we don't want to. But this walk of faith is not an easy one, and Mordecai experienced that firsthand. Being faithful to God got him in trouble with with Haman, a top official of the king. When Mordecai did not bow down to him like everyone else did, in Esther 3, 5, and 6 says, When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet, having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole entire kingdom of Xerxes. This was not a good man. Once again, Mordecai was placed in a difficult situation. There was a death threat not only upon him, but upon his people as well. But Mordecai knew he had to do something. So he made himself available to the use of God. He wanted God to use him. So what did he do? He went directly to his source. The thing he did was seek the Lord in prayer first. That's all in your notes. Because of Mordecai's faithfulness to the Lord, he was able to encourage another least likely, Esther, by reminding her that this is the time she was designed for. Mordecai was able to provide a strategy to Esther on how to approach the king with her request for salvation for her people. 
This gave Esther the courage, and God used her to change the course of events. The Jews were spared, and not long after, Mordecai became the second in rank to King Xerxes. Always stay humble. Always stay humble, my people. When we do, God will exalt us in due season. James 4.10 tells us, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Remember that God rewards. Psalms 23.5 states, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Let God prepare a feast before others. We want God to use us, so we must be a least likely. God rose Mordecai because his focus was not on the Lord, was not on him, but was on the Lord. God lifted up Mordecai. Mordecai did not lift up himself. A man born in captivity, a refugee, and the one almost put to death was now the second in authority in the land. I know many a times we are put in positions that we feel like we are overlooked, like God has not, uh, like, like if God has abandoned us. And the reality is there are things in life that we need to go through. We need to go through that process. And we could get desperate. And, every, and let me tell you something. When you get desperate and you start huffing and puffing, that's not going to change anything. God is still going to be God. He's still in his throne. He's still going to have his way. And he just wants us to align ourselves with him. We need to go through that process because in due time, he's going to do his thing. Just like in Mordecai, this man that was, uh, you, you, you know, he was going through circumstances throughout his whole entire life. And instead of just soaking in on that, he just turned it around. He's like, you know what? Yeah, this is a messed up situation. Yeah, I'm a refugee. Yeah, this is happening. Yeah, Esther's parents died. Yeah, all this. But he said, you know what? I'm going to turn this around because I got a God that I believe in. I got a God that I serve that he listens to my cry. And when you start seeing life as a believer through those lens, you're going to understand that God has always been with you from the very beginning, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. If today you feel like you are abandoned, that you feel alone, like nobody cares, know this, God does care. And I know you probably heard it a thousand times. Oh, you tell people your situation, and, and they tell you, no, God cares. He, he, he loves you. He has a plan. And you're tired of hearing that, know this. Let me be the, the, another person to tell you he does care. And it's only a matter of time that you're going to see him act on your behalf. Instead of seeing the situation negative, turn it around like Mordecai. Make the most of it. If today you feel, again, like you have been forgotten, you're not forgotten. God is with you. He has a plan for you. But I want you to think about something. Look inside of you. Check yourself. And be honest to yourself. And I, I tell you this, and my wife could be the first one to tell you. There are times that when I make a certain decision I'm not sure about, I, I, I analyze myself and I try to see, okay, if, am I missing the mark here? Did I do something to find myself in this situation? And the same with pride. Pride sneaks in subtly. And that's the hard one. And it, it, we got to find us, put ourselves in that position that we could say, is this a God thing or is this me full of pride? And be honest to yourself. So if you find yourself in life that you're going through circumstances in this day, ask the Lord, Lord, is this me? Do I need you to humble me in this area? Do I need you to break me in this area? If that's the case, Lord, I want you 
to do what you need to do in my heart. I want to allow you to make of me a least likely. God bless you all. It's been a pleasure. Amen. Awesome. Wow. Well, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. And uh, Pastor Miguel talked about uh, Mordecai. But before I talk about who um, I'm going to bring or present to you today, I'm going to be in the book of 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 25. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and and turn there. And while you're doing that, I want to tell you a story. Um, There's this lady who... Um, she was a healthcare, uh, um, a local healthcare provider, and she was doing her rounds, um, going to see patients one day when she ran out of gas. And um, so she, luckily, it was uh, there was a gas station only a block away that um, where she had uh, ran out of gas. So she walked to the gas station and um, hoping to find uh, that they would have a, a spare gas can that she could put just enough gasoline in to take it back to her car just to get her back to the gas station to fill it up completely. Well, when she went to the attendant and asked him, he said, yes, we do have that, but unfortunately, um, I just gave out the only one that we had, but if you want to wait for a little bit, I'm sure that, that um, they'll be back right away with it. Well, she thought about it for a second, and she thought, no, I really have to go see, my, go, go see my patient. So she went back to the car, walked back to the car, and was looking everywhere, all in her car, in the trunk, in the back seat, and she comes across a bedpan that she was going to be taking to her patient. So she was like, oh, yes. So she takes the bedpan, and she walks back to the gas station, fills it up with just enough gasoline, um, goes back to her car, and as she's putting the gasoline into her tank, there are two men across the street, and they're watching this. And the one says to the other, now, I know that the Lord turned water into wine, but if that car starts, I'm going to church every Sunday for the rest of my life. And just like this lady in our story, I want to talk to you about a woman today. Her name is Abigail. And just like her, she used what she had. What she had is what she used. And that is how God used her in his grand story. Um, Now, before I talk about Abigail, though, I really need to talk to you about two other characters that are in uh, 1 Samuel 25, or else nothing's going to make sense. And the first one is David. Remember, David a couple weeks ago was who pastor talked to us about David, the skinny-armed sheep herder. Now, David, at this point, he's been anointed as king, but he hasn't been appointed yet. And he's in the Mayon Desert with 600 of his men, and uh, he's fleeing from Saul because Saul has been trying to kill him. So this is where David is is. At, at, at the time that this um, story is being told. So he is um, with 600 of his men, and he has been actually protecting a man named Nabal, um, his flocks and shepherds out in the desert. Because at this time, the Philistines were running rampant. So it wouldn't have been anything for, um, if you were out there, that you would just be sitting ducks. So for, for the uh, Nabal's shepherds and his flocks to have these 600 men, David and 600 of his men, was a huge blessing. Because it says um, partway in this story that uh, one of the servants had described as they were like a wall of protection around us day and night. They never stole anything from us. They never took anything. They protected us the whole entire time. Now, something that you need to know about Nabal. Nabal's name literally means fool. 
His name means fool. How would you like to have that name? That uh, your name actually means fool. Now we don't know if his parents gave that to him or if over the years that um, he acquired that name and he was just living up to it because the Bible says that he was crude and mean in all of his dealings and that he was a fool. So what we're getting ready to um, see unfold in this text is that we have David and his men over here in the desert and they're protecting all of Nabal's um, flocks and, and um, uh, shepherds. And we know that he was a wealthy man, Nabal. And the reason we know this is because it says that he owned land and he also had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. So he was, he was pretty wealthy. Now, Nabal didn't know firsthand right away that this had been sort of a kind service was being, but was being done. Um, so it is in the time of sheep shearing that we're in, and you, something you need to know about shearing is that it was actually a time of celebration and a time of generosity. So David is, is thinking, okay, so it's, I, I hear that they're shearing sheep and it's a time of generosity. We've been doing this over here for Nabal. I'm gonna send 10 of my men to go and ask for provision because they were hungry and they were thirsty and they needed some provision out there in the desert, um, in the Mayan desert. And uh, they thought, or, or he thought, well, this will be the, my, my, the greatest opportune, opportunity for me to be able to do this because it's shearing time. Surely he's going to be generous, right? Wrong. Because remember Nabal, his name means fool. So David woke up that day hungry for food, but what we're getting ready to see happen is that because of Nabal's response, it's going to leave him starved for revenge. So we're going to pick up in verse 10, and uh, this is what Nabal has responded to the 10, 10 of David's men that have come and asked in his name. Who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who comes from who knows where? So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. And so David said, oh, you know, that's okay. I guess we'll get it from somewhere else. No, that's not what happened at all. That's not what happened at all. Verse 13, David says, get your swords as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off with David and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. In verse 21, he says, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness and nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he has repaid me evil for good. And may God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. Wow, that was, uh, note to self, don't ever insult David. Um, this sounds like a for sure Jerry Springer, oh no you didn't moment, that weave is getting ready to be ripped off and thrown into the air and it is getting ready to go. I don't know if they had weave back then, but I just thought that that was, you know, that's the picture I have in my head, you know. But, um, but you know, th he... This is um, so exciting in the Bible. We, some of you go and you watch reality TV, you need to pick up God's word because you would be so much more like, whoa, really, that happened? Seriously, that happened? Yes, it happened. Get into his word and read it for yourself. Now, David isn't coming with 400 men to Nabal's household merely to make a statement. He's, he, he's not coming with, with his band of people to just make a statement, nah, 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 I got more people than you do. No, that's not what he's doing. David is coming to wipe Nabal out. That's his intention. He's coming to wipe him out. 
Side note, I wonder, have you ever had an out of proportion reaction to a situation? Now I'm gonna walk over to this side of the stage because my family's over there and I don't wanna make eye contact with them because I know I have had out of proportion reactions <laughs> to a number of things. And in my experience, it's usually when I've listened through a filter, I've believed a lie of a past encounter, and now I bring that experience into the current situation and I'm triggered. I wonder if David was triggered by Nabal's response. Because remember a couple weeks ago when PT talked about David and the whole story that um, Samuel the prophet came and uh, asked Jesse, bring all of your sons because God has told me that I'm to anoint the next king and it's one of your sons. And he lines them all up and he goes, nope, nope. God says, nope, nope, nope. Um, do you have any more? Remember what he said? Because uh, if you don't, your wife's getting ready to get pregnant because I'm coming back in nine months. Because God said one of your sons is to be anointed. And then David walks into this um, scenario where all of his brothers are lined up, but he was overlooked. I wonder if it took him back to that day when his father overlooked him, when Samuel came looking to anoint the next king. And I wonder if that moment that he forgot that he actually was handpicked by God. Because remember, Samuel the prophet said, we're going to sit and we're going to wait until you bring me who God has said is being anointed. He was hand-picked by God. While David and his men are on their way with drawn swords, one of Nabal's servants goes to Abigail and explains everything that has happened, what is getting ready to happen, and implores her to do something. Now, I just thought for a moment, I don't know if I told you, but Abigail is Nabal's wife. Okay, she's married to dude is rude. How, how or why, I have no idea because um, they, they, the, the Bible explains him as you know, mean and crude in all of his dealings and then the, the description we get for her is beautiful and intelligent. Why in the world is she with dude is rude? I don't know. But um, verse 18, we're gonna see what Abigail does. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. And as she was riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming towards her. Now let's look back in verse 18. Look at all this stuff that she is preparing. 200 loaves of bread. And it doesn't say that anybody helped her. You know, do you ever like read the Bible and go, wait a minute, it doesn't say this or it doesn't say that. It doesn't elaborate here. So you're like, wow, was she one woman getting 200 loaves of bread and two wineskins full of wine and five sheep that, were, that had been slaughtered and all of that. And she's preparing all of this stuff herself. Now, as you can imagine, there are probably many emotions running through Abigail up to this moment, and one of them I'm certain is fear. You can't tell me that she's not just a little bit scared. I mean, 401 men are coming with drawn swords with a mentality, show no mercy. Show no mercy. They are coming to wipe Nabal out and every single man in their household. So you can't tell me that she wasn't at least a little bit fearful. Now, I didn't say that she was stuck in fear. And that's obvious because it says in verse 18, Abigail wasted no time. She moved right into action. 
Abigail wasted no time and she did what was right no matter the cost. Although impending doom was headed her way, she moved quickly with wisdom and courage and she didn't let fear hold her back. Not only did she have 401 men coming at her household, but remember, again, she's married to dude is rude. Who knows what he's gonna say or what he's gonna do if he finds out that, about what she's doing. But she didn't let fear, fear hold her back. And that's your first fill-in. Don't let fear hold you back. Don't let fear hold you back. Now, I didn't say that if you're fearful, God can't use you. I did not say that. Don't hear that. Don't allow the enemy to plant that into your mind. Because the last time I checked, I'm human and you're human and we have human emotions. And there are some, some things that we can come up against that can be pretty scary. Just like I told last service, I'm up here in front of all of you and y'all look pretty scary right now, right? But I'm moving forward in boldness and courage, teaching God's word. But that doesn't mean that before I came up here, maybe I didn't have a little twinge of fear. And I'm sure Pastor Miguel can, can attest to the same thing. But you can't let fear hold you back. When we let fear hold us back, we won't move. We won't move forward. We'll be stuck in that fear or that unknown. But we have to know that even though it's unknown, our God is the God of unknown. We can step out onto it and know that he's gonna be right there. As Pastor Miguel said, not that everything is gonna be smooth and perfect, but we can know and we can bank on that God will be there. Verse 23, let's see what Abigail's, um, Abigail and David's reaction is. Because remember, the last thing that we read was that um, she was meeting, David and his men were coming out here and they were meeting in this mountain ravine. When, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty for you are fighting the Lord's battles. And you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all he promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. So number two, we have to humble ourselves and seek peace with those around us. That's what she did. Did, was she to blame for everything that was going on? Certainly not. She wasn't even involved in anything. But she went on her husband's behalf to say, no, I take the blame. I take all the blame in this matter. See, she knew something apparently Nabal didn't know because Nabal was stuck in pride. But Abigail came with humility. She knew what we know as Proverbs 15.1 today. She knew that a soft and gentle and thoughtful answer turns away wrath, but harsh and painful and careless words stir it up. You know, I've never been in a heated conversation, an argument with anyone, that all of a sudden they said, you know what, you're right. That's never happened. No, but when we come as humble, with humility, seeking that, that our number one thing is we want peace. 
I, I, we, don't, we don't want any more anger. We don't want any more stirring up of, of um, uh, uh, animosity or anything like that. No, I'm coming to seek peace and whatever I gotta do to find it. Because actually in God's word, it tells us that we are to, if it all possible, if it's up to us, that we be the peacemaker. That's what God tells us, that we're, if, if it's at all possible, depending on us. Now, I didn't say depending on the other person's reaction. No, depending on me and depending on you, bring peace, bring peace. Abigail made her, made her appeal in utmost humility. She didn't come to David as a superior, as the beautiful, rich, and privileged of the world often do, or even as an equal. She came to David as his humble servant. She knew the source of true strength, and it's not pride. Humility, it's, it's not pride, it's humility. Humility is not a position of weakness. It's actually a position of great strength. It's only in humility that we will be given the opportunity for the other person to receive and listen to what we are saying. Abigail was not only doing what was right for her husband, herself, and her whole entire household, but she was doing what was right for David. Her appeal to David lifted him up instead of beating him down. David was clearly in the wrong and Abigail wanted to guide him into the right, but she didn't do it by being negative. She didn't do it by emphasizing to David how wrong and angry and stupid he was, though in fact he was in this situation. Instead, Abigail emphasized David's glorious calling and destiny and the general integrity of his life and simply asked him to consider if his present course of action was consistent with this destiny and integrity. Abigail saying to David, look man, look at the bigger picture. I know that right now in this moment you're angry, but remember who you are. And more importantly, remember who your God is and remember his standards. Don't get distracted by this fool and derail your destiny. See, she reminded David that he must realize that his words and actions, they are powerful. And they also come with consequences. So choose wisely. And because she moved forward, with courage, humility, and seeking peace in the matter, David heard her and decided this wasn't the way to handle the situation. Because if you read the whole story, once she gets finished speaking with him, he says, what a basically, what a blessing you are, that God has sent you to me to stop me from doing this. Go in peace and we will not kill your husband. See, Abigail's just like us. She was doing her thing in the middle of everyday, ordinary life. She had no idea she would be included in God's word. She had no idea that her life was anything but ordinary. But listen to me, David was anything but ordinary. He was not just an ordinary man. David is the bloodline from whom Jesus will eventually descend. It's crucial that David doesn't derail his destiny. And all of the people that God could have used to help David to readjust his perspective and to not derail his destiny, God chose an ordinary woman in the middle of an ordinary life, in the middle of an ordinary day to carry out his will for his glory. Now the world would have said that she was a, a least likely, like, let's be honest, would you have sent a woman to go up against 401 men with swords, with bread? What was she going to do, ask him to cut it? I mean, this seems like a really unlikely um, 
person to send in this very moment, but God uses the least likely. God uses the least likely because guess what? God gets the glory for it. God gets the glory for it. See, Abigail had no idea she was just being obedient to God. She had no idea how significant her, how significant her words and her actions were, not only for David, but actually for herself. Because if you read the rest of the story in 1 Samuel 25, you'll see that God, in his timing, took care of it. And he actually struck Nabal dead. And upon hearing that, David sent for Abigail to marry her. Now, you're probably living a pretty ordinary life, and you're probably unaware of just how much God desires to use you. But you don't have to feel extraordinary to be in the process of being used in an extraordinary way by God. Just like God used Abigail, he'll use us too. And we probably won't even be aware of how profoundly God uses us in the midst of ordinary lives and ordinary days. But God is using us all of the time. And it may be well into eternity that we realize how significant our assignments actually are. However, if we don't learn from those like Mordecai and Abigail and cultivate characteristics like generosity, humility, sacrifice, boldness, wisdom, courage, and speaking the truth of God, we'll miss how God wants to use us and won't fulfill the, assignment, the assignments that he has for us. Now this passage of scripture has all of the elements that we would say make for a great story. And they do. You've got for the hopeless romantics, you know, at the end, the knight comes for his princess. She was, you know, stuck with the ogre, you know, and he rescued her. You know, we have the 401 men with their swords drawn. <laughs> what you men do, you know, you love those, those movies where, you know, there's the good and evil, the battle, the major battle on the field. But the most beautiful and the most profound and the most powerful the thing that I see in scripture is that, see, as you, if you read scripture long enough, you'll begin to realize that every word on every page of the word of God points to Jesus. Everything. I dare you to dig into his word and prove me wrong. Every passage of scripture you read will point to Jesus. And this one is no different. Because in verse 23 and 24, it says, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter. What a beautiful picture of Jesus and what he has done for each and every one of us. See, you and I were born in sin. All of us sitting in this room, every single person that is watching this via video, have fallen short of the glory of God and have sinned. And because there has to be a payment for sin, Jesus went to the cross. He took on your sin and my sin. Was he deserving of it? No, because he never did anything wrong, not once. He was a spotless lamb 
but he said, I know that my Father in heaven wants relationship restored so deeply that I will go to the cross and I will take care of the payment of sin. So now it's paid in full. The wrath of God has been satisfied in Jesus Christ in what happened on the cross. Now, you and I, if we accept this free gift of salvation, we confess that we're a sinner, we confess and declare that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died, that he rose again, we accept this free gift, we get to live in freedom here on earth. But not just here on earth. I know a lot of people talk about it the other way, but I want you to know that you can live in freedom here on earth. But the moment that you make that decision, you have sealed your eternity in heaven. Now, after making that decision, you get to live in eternity with Jesus. Now, you may be sitting here today or you may be watching online. Yeah, but why would, why would I want to do that? Because why would God send good people to hell? He doesn't. He created hell for Satan and his demons. He didn't create hell for you and I. But the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus, is through a relationship with Jesus. That's the only way that we get to the Father. Maybe you were listening today and you, the, a couple of different points, maybe one or maybe both of them hit you. And maybe the first one where I talked about how that we can't let fear hold us back. Maybe that spoke to you. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit was speaking to you that there's an area of, in, of your life that you're allowing fear to hold you back from the things, the assignments that God has planned for you since before the beginning of time. Maybe fear of moving forward in that next step and accepting Jesus is where you're at now. Maybe the second point that we need to humble ourselves and we need to seek peace with others. Maybe that spoke to you today. Maybe Holy Spirit is telling you, yeah, remember this interaction that you had? I need you, I want you to go back and I want you to make it right. I want you to seek peace. Maybe that's you today. But again, Maybe the humbling yourself and the seeking peace is you need to humble yourself before Jesus and you need to seek peace with him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word, the power of your word. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that since the, before the beginning of time, you already had a plan in place to restore mankind back to you. And we thank you, Father, that what you set your hand to, what you put in motion, you finish it. Father, there are several different groups of people in this room, and I know that you know that because you know exactly where their heart is. You see into the heart of every man and every woman, every boy and every girl. Father, if there are areas in our life that we've been allowing fear to hold us back, Father, I pray that you would go in and that you would replace those lies with truth. 
And Father, any of us here that there's somebody that we need to, we need to humble ourselves and we need to seek peace with. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness to step out and do exactly what you're calling us to do. Knowing that it's not about the other person's response, it's about what you're calling us to do. It's about what you're asking us to do. It's about us being obedient to what you want to do. And then, Father, there's, a, there's another group of people that are here today or watching online that they don't know. They don't know you. They don't know your son. So, Father, right now in this moment, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. Father, I command pride to fall right now in the name of Jesus. That all pride has a place and it's on its knees before Jesus. If that's you here today, that you need to know him, that you've never accepted him. And if there's any little bit of a doubt in your mind, I'm gonna tell you that you don't know him. So make that step today, be bold. And I just wanna ask you to be, um, uh, uh, to be bold and to just raise your hand right now. If that's you, if that's you, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ, if you find yourself living a life that is anything but freedom, I want you to know that there's freedom to be had here today, that you don't have to clean yourself up, that you don't have to get yourself right before him. He'll work all that stuff out. He just wants you to come to him. He has open arms this morning. So if that's you, would you just quickly just raise your hands? Just raise your hand up and you can put it right back down. Just raise your hand up and put it right back down. Maybe you're watching online and that's you. You would just raise an emoji hand in the comments that you wanna make that decision. And there's a team of people who are ready to pray for you and to put tools in your hand. Let's all pray this prayer together. Father God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And I know that you are that savior. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you've done on the cross that you have taken care of all of the sin and that now I may walk in freedom. And I thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, let's celebrate for decisions that have been made today. Come on, guys, that is so awesome. Eternities are changed. It's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in your life. We would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps might be, visit thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.